Out of all the peril of this moment, I remain so optimistic about America. Come Wednesday, we begin a new chapter. Together, we can get this done. Count me in. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. A little scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. I'm okay. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on some excellent internet affiliates, including the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another uh, thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Glad to have you with us. The uh, largest commercial passenger jet in the world is the Airbus A380. Desi Doyen, you knew that, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, okay. But I'm interested. Well, it is. Okay. Uh, its standard capacity is 544 passengers. Now, I've been struggling, uh, probably along with the rest of the world, I suspect, to try and put the cost of COVID deaths into terms that can be understood to the human brain, since the amount both globally and here in the U.S., the number of deaths is frankly just unfathomable. The magnitude is staggering. It is. And, you know, we have these huge numbers, but it's hard to even wrap your brain around what they actually mean. Well, today, CNN's Ivana Katasovia, she came up with a new way to try and wrap our brains around the number, which today represents a simply staggering tragedy. The official global death toll now from the coronavirus pandemic surpassed 2 million on Friday. According to Johns Hopkins University, the tragic milestone came just over one year after the first COVID-19 death was reported in Wuhan, China. She writes that it is as if 10 of the world's largest commercial jets, 10 Airbus A380s with 544 passengers on board each, as if 10 of them fell out of the sky, killing every single passenger 
every single day for an entire year. And while that two million figure is horrifying, experts say the real death toll is likely much higher. Only confirmed COVID-19 deaths are included in John Hop- Johns Hopkins tally, which means that people who die without a firm diagnosis are not included. Christopher Murray of the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington told CNN that they found on average total deaths are 20 percent higher than reported deaths. And in the meantime, the pandemic is getting worse. The death toll is rising now faster than ever. A number of countries, including the U.S., recorded their deadliest days of the pandemic in the past week, with death tolls here in the U.S. now routinely at more than 4,000 a day. That is more than seven Airbuses crashing each day in the U.S., I mean, can you imagine if we had, you know, seven of these jumbo jets crashing each day in the U.S.? The U.S., under the delinquent leadership of Donald J. Trump, has now recorded by far the highest total death toll in the world, with the conservative count from Johns Hopkins now uh, at more than 390,000 deaths. So to stick with our Airbus disaster comparison, if I've done the math right here, That would be 718 of them crashing here in the U.S. alone over the past year or two jumbo jet air disasters in the U.S. every single day for the past year in this country. That's how bad this is. Normally, that would be a concern to a president of the United States just doesn't happen to be a concern to our current president, apparently, who is more concerned with his own personal misfortunes than anyone else's in the nation. Uh, According to President-elect Joe Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, who headed up Barack Obama's very successful Ebola task force, uh, that number is now expected to reach 500,000 deaths by the end of this month just 10 days after Joe Biden is sworn in on Wednesday. Meanwhile, on Thursday, the president-elect unveiled his $1.9 trillion proposal for tackling both COVID and the disaster that it has wrought on the U.S. economy as the prospect's David Dayan breaks it down in his indispensable, unsanitized newsletter today. The ambitious proposal from Biden includes a massive $415 billion to create a national vaccination program across the country, as well as to expand testing to support safe reopening of schools, safe reopening of schools and other facilities with $170 billion specifically earmarked for school reopening and emergency relief, expansions of health services to vulnerable populations and congregate settings, Uh, it adds 14 weeks of paid sick, uh, sick family and medical leave, That, notes Dan, is a fully articulated program that it would be impossible to spend too much money on if it results in returning to a normal life and economy faster. The plan would top up the $600 checks that are uh, already on their way, in theory, that were passed in December. It tops that up to $2,000 total. It increases the federal unemployment boost from $300 to $400 each week and extended benef- and extends benefits through September. Right now, they are set to expire in mid-March. 
$350 billion earmarked to cover revenue shortfalls at the state and local level. The bill would extend the eviction moratorium through September, which otherwise will expire at the end of this month. There will be $30 billion in rental, water, and utility assistance, $5 billion for emergency housing to prevent homelessness, a 15% increase in SNAP uh, benefits through September, $3 billion to the Women, Infants, and Children program, and partnering with restaurants to help feed people, which helps both small businesses and the needy all at once. Well, that makes sense. Gosh. It includes another $40 billion for child care providers to stay open. It includes a tax credit to families to cover the cost of child care, expansion of the child tax credit to $3,600 a year for children under 6 or $3,000 a year for kids between 6 and 17. There's $15 billion in grants to the hard-hit uh, small businesses. And oh, by the way, this bill will raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Remind me again why Donald Trump supporters are so furious about Joe Biden becoming the next president. Anyway, as uh, Dayan describes, it's a policy smorgasbord and nearly all of it is important and well rendered and will help a great many people. The problem, he says, is that there is no way a single Republican would ever sign on to this. And yet the Biden team, for some reason, wants to go through regular order, meaning that it would require 10 Republican senators to sign on. He says that's not going to happen. But he adds it doesn't have to happen. With the exception of the minimum wage increase, everything in the bill can be passed through budget reconciliation, a process that requires only a majority vote in the U.S. Senate. That is, if every Democrat works, uh, votes for it. That is far from certain, of course, but that's an idea of where things stand at this moment, as I suspect we will cover this more in the days ahead. But it is certainly nice to get a real effort you know, to finally try to get a hold of this worsening nightmare somehow. And I'm happy to see it. Yeah. And it's also kind of heartbreaking that any of this stuff could have been done at any time in the last year and wasn't. But hey, we're going to get it done now, hopefully. Hopefully. So that is at least, I think, some good news, something good to look forward to in any event. Apparently, I'm not the only one you know, who feels that way as Joe Biden prepares to take office just days after a deadly riot inside the U.S. Capitol. Sixty four percent of voters express a positive opinion of his conduct since he won the November election. Majorities also approve of his cabinet selections and how he has explained his plans and policies for the future. This, according to new polling out today from the nonprofit Pew Research Group, Donald Trump, on the other hand, according to the same survey, is leaving the White House with the lowest approval rating of his presidency, just 29 percent and increasingly negative ratings for his post-election conduct. Trump voters in particular have grown more critical of their candidates post-election conduct, according to this survey. The share of his supporters who describe his conduct as poor has doubled. Over the past month, past two months, this is his own supporters. Three quarters of the public say that the president bears at least some responsibility for the violence and destruction committed by his supporters. 
During the shocking events of January 6, when his MAGA mob heeded his call to march on the Capitol to protest Congress's acceptance of Joe Biden's victory before they went on a violent, deadly, hours-long rampage throughout the building. Throughout most of his presidency, Trump's job uh, rating remained more stable than any of his predecessors. It had never surpassed 45 percent, never had gone higher than that, his approval rating. Uh, nor did it dip below 36 percent. But now his job approval rating stands at just 29 percent. That is down nine points since August in this survey, and it is the lowest of his presidency. Much of the decline specifically has come from Republicans. Currently, 60 percent approve of his job performance, but that is down from 77 percent back in August. Much of this of course, is thanks to his post-election lies and madness and attempt to overthrow the election and the U.S. government and incitement of this uh, insurrection at the Capitol. That, as what happened that day, is still being investigated with a lot of unknown answers and seemingly more disturbing questions coming to light each day. I, uh, I want to get to my guests shortly, and I suspect we will have more time for all of this also in the days ahead. But the news coming in each day now is sort of getting creepier and creepier. Uh, following on our previous show's report on the U.S. intelligence agency's warning about ongoing threats of violence in both the nation's capital and at state capitals around the country in all 50 states by armed domestic violence extremists whose central grievance, according to the intelligence agencies, is that they believe Trump's false claims that the election was stolen from him. Well, in the wake of that, President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration rehearsal scheduled for Sunday has now been postponed to Monday because of uh, security concerns. Security around the Capitol has been significantly ramped up. Now more than 25,000 National Guard troops are expected to be deployed to assist with security for the event. That's according to the Army today, and that's up from the 15,000 and then 20,000 we heard about in earlier reports. FBI Director Christopher Wray said the agency was seeing, quote, an extensive amount of chatter online about potential violence surrounding the inauguration, saying, quote, we're concerned about the potential for violence at multiple protests and rallies planned here in D.C. and at state capitol buildings around the country that could bring armed individuals within close proximity to government buildings and officials. Biden's uh, planned Amtrak trip from Wilmington, Delaware, to Washington, D.C. on Monday, that has been canceled. Mm. I know. Uh, again, because of the security concerns, airlines have announced they will ban guns in checked bags on flights to D.C. in the time surrounding the inauguration. As to the immediate fallout from the deadly January 6 attack at the Capitol, which killed at least five, including a Capitol police officer, the pro-Trump mob that stormed the U.S. Capitol aimed to, quote, capture and assassinate elected officials. That, according to federal prosecutors in court documents filed this week. Now, as we go to air, those uh, reports came out from AP and others earlier today. Now the DOJ is attempting to walk back some of those claims. 
The, revela- the revelation, however, came initially in a motion prosecutors had filed late on Thursday in the case of Jacob Chansley. He's the Arizona man who took part in the insurrection, the one you saw, I'm sure, with the painted face and no shirt and that big furry hat with the horns. This uh, suggesting that investigators believe there was a much more organized effort afoot, despite claims from rioters that it was a spontaneous outburst of anger over Donald Trump's loss. Prosecutors uh, say that after Chansley climbed up onto the dais where Vice President Mike Pence had been presiding just moments earlier, Chansley wrote a note threatening uh, to Pence that said, quote, it's only a matter of time. Justice is coming. Pence and congressional leaders had been ushered out of the chamber by the Secret Service and the Capitol Police just moments before the rioters stormed into the room. The FBI has been investigating whether whether any of the rioters had plotted to kidnap members of Congress and hold them hostage, focusing specifically on the men seen carrying plastic zip tie handcuffs and pepper spray. On Friday, in the case of a former Air Force officer, who they allege carried plastic zip-tie handcuffs, it was because he intended, quote, to take hostages, unquote. More than 80 people are currently facing charges. Some of them were highly trained ex-military and police. During a hearing in Texas on Thursday, a prosecutor urged the judge to keep Colonel Larry Rendell Brock Jr., They urged him uh, to uh, stay locked up, saying the man meant to take hostages. He was arrested in Texas after being photographed on the Senate floor during the riot, wearing a helmet and heavy vest and carrying plastic zip tie handcuffs. The uh, prosecutors, the assistant U.S. attorney in this case, said that um, Brock Jr. meant to kidnap, restrain, perhaps try, perhaps execute members of the U.S. government. And uh, just one more uh, creepy piece of related news here before we take a break. Uh, You've likely heard by now that Democratic Congresswoman and former U.S. Navy helicopter pilot Mikey Sherrill of New Jersey, she said this week that uh, she witnessed colleagues escorting people through the Capitol on January 5 for what she described as reconnaissance ahead of the next day's violent insurrection that left five dead. She said that there should have been pretty much nobody in the Capitol that day because the Capitol has been closed to tours, even by uh, congressmen and women. She did not identify the lawmakers that she was referring to and how she knew that this was all connected to the riots. But she says uh, she referred that information to authorities and Congressman Tim Ryan of Ohio, Democrat as well, said that he's aware of a couple of the names of the colleagues who are being eyed as potentially giving tours to the would be insurrectionists. So on the heels of that now comes this disturbing story that I really do not know what to make of yet. Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Presley's chief of staff, Sarah Grow told the Boston Globe this week that panic buttons she had previously used in the congresswoman's office had been taken out before the violent riot at the U.S. Capitol last week. Gross said that she and Presley and her husband had arrived at the Capitol Hill uh, office earlier that day. 
after the House, sergeant-at-arms had urged lawmakers to get there early to avoid, to avoid the large crowds of protesters who were gathering in response to uh, Donald Trump summoning them there. Around the time the mob took over the Capitol on Wednesday, January 6th, Gro said she discovered that the office's panic buttons had been removed while she and other staffers were working to secure the office's entrance using available furniture and water jugs, etc. She says, every panic button in my office had been torn out. The whole unit, she said. A spokesperson for Presley said uh, the matter has been raised with the relevant agencies and is currently under investigation. But that is, like I said, yeah, (laughs) I don't even know what to make of that. Wow. Apparently, there were a number of these buttons throughout the office. All of them were gone for some reason. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talked about it on uh, Twitter, saying that even if one assumes this is some totally innocent oversight, how does the department responsible remove all of the panic buttons from a highly visible member's office and not inform that member or their staff? So what's going on here exactly? Uh, What went on in that attack on the Capitol, for which the president of the United States has now been impeached for a second time. I don't think that we are anywhere close to having a full picture of what went down. For the moment, however, it's the president who appears to be going down and uh, seemingly very quickly at this point, along with his approval ratings, his presidency, his reputation, such that he had one, his political future, and yes, his business empire, which is quickly crumbling amidst all of this. To discuss that today and what it may mean, we turn back to the same guest that uh, joined us on the day that Trump faithfully descended that golden Trump Tower escalator to call Mexicans rapists and declare his run for the White House. She has been with us uh, throughout uh, all of this, joining us to discuss each landmark moment in our long and, yes, continuing national nightmare. She joins us again today. The great Heather Digby Parton is next right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Donald Trump is reportedly consumed by the unraveling of his presidency during his last days in office, according to people around him, which included a casual discussion among advisors recently about a possible resignation. But Trump shut down that idea almost immediately, according to CNN, and he has made clear to aides in separate conversations that mere mention of President Richard Nixon, the last president to resign, is now banned in the White House. He told one advisor during an expletive-laden conversation recently never to bring up the ex-president ever again. 
silly him, because that might be the only way he would get a legitimate pardon for himself for the many crimes that he has arguably committed over the last four years. And of course, further beyond that, the signs of his impending departure, however, at this point are said to be everywhere, according to CNN, including right outside his window. Workers hung bunting on Thursday that reads 2021 Biden-Harris inauguration. From temporary stands across from the White House's north portico, it was visible from his third-story residence. Awesome. Inside the building, Trump has been weathering a second impeachment and growing isolation from his one-time allies in sullen desolation. He has grown more and more worried about what legal or financial calamities may await him when he is no longer president. Also awesome, as uh, those warnings have been fueled by uh, lawyers and advisors telling him he may be in big trouble. He is weighing pardons, including for himself and his family, as he attempts to muster a legal team for another impeachment trial. And he is resentful of Republicans who feels uh, who he feels abandoned him in his hour of need, including the GOP leaders of both the House and the Senate. All of that, instead of being troubled by the nearly 400,000 Americans who have been killed by COVID over the past year, now at a rate of more than 4,000 a day, much less the increasing threats of violence in advance of Joe Biden's inauguration, which the FBI credits to Donald Trump's unwillingness to concede that Joe Biden won the election fair and square. On Thursday, it was Vice President Mike Pence carrying out tasks that are ordinarily left to the president, like visiting National Guardsmen posted at the U.S. Capitol or visiting White House operators to say farewell. There were signs of moving activity on Thursday, including a gray moving van from the fine art movers Crozier. Debbie Meadows, the wife of the chief of staff, was spotted carrying out a stuffed pheasant from her husband's office and loading it into her car. The upstairs of the White House press shop is now said to be virtually empty. Press Secretary Kylie McEnany, who has been largely invisible during the final days of the Trump White House, has also started packing up her office. Bye bye, Kaylee. You'll not be missed. As one of their final acts, Trump's team is working to organize a crowd to see him off on the morning of Biden's inauguration when he plans to depart Washington while still president. Good luck organizing that crowd, although I suppose if they were able to organize a crowd to say goodbye to Richard Nixon, maybe they'll be able to come up with a handful to say goodbye to Donald Trump. Uh, mentioning Richard Nixon on this program is not banned. Initially, Trump had planned, of course, to depart the White House a day before the inauguration, but now he plans to leave on the morning of January 20. Though Trump in private, still contends that he won the 2020 election. He has fully resigned himself to leaving the White House and entering life as a private citizen. And with it, the potential legal exposure and business troubles sparked by his role in inciting the riots last week at the U.S. Capitol. That even as he prepares for that second impeachment trial. As we have been reporting, Trump's business empire already seems to be crumbling quickly around him. Salon's Heather Digby Parton summed things up this week, 
writing that Deutsche Bank, which holds a big piece of the $400 million in personal debt that Trump reportedly holds and which is coming due soon, has reportedly decided not to do business with him anymore. Two other banks have closed his accounts and have stated they will no longer work with him. Meanwhile, his company was already reeling from a resort and hotel business in deep distress from the COVID COVID pandemic, which he ignored, and is now suffering from a global recoil from his once valuable brand name. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced on Wednesday the city will terminate decades-long business contracts with the Trump Organization, costing them about $17 million a year in profits. Trump's hotel in D.C., which has hosted so many people from all over the world, currying favors and hoping to mingle with the elite MAGA crowd, will now have a new landlord, Parton observes. That would be the Biden administration, which is highly unlikely to stonewall the congressional investigations into its corrupt contracts. As the old post office, which houses the money-losing Trump hotel in D.C., is actually licensed to the Trump Organization by the federal government. As well, the PGA canceled the 2022 golf championship that was scheduled for his Bedminster, New Jersey golf club, which reportedly upset Trump more than pretty much anything else that happened this past week. Yes, even being impeached a second time. No doubt his resorts all over the world, she writes, will be hemorrhaging members, upscale professional types who can no longer afford to be associated with the Trump brand and expect their employers to be sanguine about it. The Washington Post additionally reports that Cushman and Wakefield, the real estate brokers who handle the leasing for many of the Trump Organization properties, say that they will no longer do business with them either. And even New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick turned down a presidential medal of freedom from Trump this week. That's how toxic Donald Trump has become. All of this leads to a very important question, writes uh, Heather. If Trump cannot refinance his debt through normal channels and no one wants to bail him out otherwise, what will he do? That's a question we left off with yesterday with a promise to speak to our friend Heather Digby Parton soon about. Heather is perhaps better known as simply Digby and the proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog, as well as a regular and award-winning opinion and analysis contributor at Salon.com. We are almost there, Heather. I think we're going to make it. Welcome back to the broadcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me again. I mean, we've, we've done this uh, Trump thing from the very beginning, yep. you and I did. Yep. Uh, from the day he announced, and here we are on the cusp of uh, him getting on an airplane and flying to Mar-a-Lago for the final time. Yes. You know, I have heard that his his um, uh, send-off, that now they're planning, they want to do it like a state visit at mm -hmm. uh, Andrews Air Force Base for the 21-gun salute. So here's hoping the networks decline to cover that on inauguration. Oh, I don't think they will decline that. <laughs> Although it's interesting that uh, the only way they can assure a crowd shows up to send him off is if they order the military to right. do it while he's still commander in chief, it seems. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, they can't even, even Hope Hicks 
<laughs> doesn't want to show no. up for that. No, you know, and that's and that is a that is a, a an indication of the greater problem that you're just talking about. I mean, the complete and utter collapse of the Trump organization, which I, you know, this has been coming for a while. I think mm-hmm. the the uh, insurrection uh, on, at the Capitol was just the you know the final blow. Yeah. Um, the Trump organization has been in deep deep trouble throughout his, his term. Well, that's what I wanted to... Uh, I've got a lot to get to here in a short time because I want to get your thoughts on impeachment and the Donald Trump um, afterlife for the party, if that's the right way to describe it. And by <laughs> the way, I hope it is. But yes, you raise a disturbing uh, point, actually, in your piece this week regarding the otherwise schadenfreude-filled good news of what appears to be Trump's empire crumbling. And first, just to make sure... Are, uh, is 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 this really happening or or is he is he really looking at financial nightmares here never mind the criminal ones for the moment uh once he is no longer president are his prospects as bad as it actually seems at least to me this week it certainly seems that way and obviously you know his his business dealings are very opaque who knows eric trump insists that they have no debt he actually says this, we have no debt, even though we know they have tremendous debt. And so we can refinance. We have all these assets that we can use to pay off debt. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever that means. That's, that's exactly what he said. But I think, look, the, the Trump, Trump is a brand, mm-hmm. and it's literally his name. And that is what he's been making his money from going back, you know, before, actually to the beginning, but most especially within the last couple of decades. And, and I think that brand is, is severely tarnished. And the, the kind of people who still love him, who they're counting on, those are not the big money people who mm. belong to glo- golf clubs mm-hmm. in Scotland. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that just is not. And since, since he, you know, I think that he had a chance of, of refurbishing that brand if he were considered uh, the front runner for the Republican nomination in 2024. And according to polling, he still is, but mm-hmm. it's not that much. I mean, it's like below 50% now mm-hmm. after what happened are saying that he's the front runner. So that gave him power, and people could still, for the next four years, be currying favor and doing all the usual things with the anticipation that he might be president again. The corporations running away from him at the moment, I think, says that they're making a bet that he's not going to do that, that he's not going to be that guy, and that they don't need to put any money behind him and some of the people who've supported him and, and you know, take the hit that they have to take mm-hmm. from the rest of the public who are appalled by everything that Trump does. They don't want to be associated with him. So who knows? You know, he's a very resilient guy. He has a feral instinct for survival. Who knows what he's going to put together? But I think he is seriously damaged. And, you know, his kids, of course, uh, you know, learned how to lie from the best of them. Yeah, so of even if... Even if the Trump organization does have uh, debt, I, I wouldn't put it beyond Eric to lie about that. But it is also feasible that maybe the Trump organization itself is doing OK, because as The New York Times reported, it was actually Donald Trump himself on a personal level who took on this four hundred million dollars worth of debt. And I could see Eric saying, well, you know, the, the organization is has no debt at all. Never mind that 400 million that my father has in his name. So you argue uh, in your piece at Salon earlier this week that there are reasons to be very concerned for how Trump might now try to find his way out of that jam if the reports are true that he personally owes 400 million dollars that is coming due soon. 
much less all of these other problems that his company may now be facing in the wake of his impeachment. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, his his incitement of the Capitol insurrection that led to his impeachment. So what are your concerns as you write about uh, for what could be a pretty desperate uh, president in, in desperate financial straits after leaving office? Well, Donald Trump never left a penny on the sidewalk. We know that much. He's a cheapskate, <laughs> as many people who are born wealthy turn out to be. Um, so I don't think even if he could sell off assets to pay that debt, I don't think he would do it. Moreover, I think I've, I've always had a fear of Trump's post-presidential years um, and, and the threat to national security that he presents. This is a person who's had access to all of America's most you know, deeply held secrets. And uh, he has also shown that he has a great deal of, um, you know, respect and admiration for some of the worst tyrants on the planet, including people like Kim Jong-un. What I suspect he could possibly do, and I'm sure I'm not the only one to think this, I bet the entire intelligence community has thought about this a long time ago, mm. is that he, has, he already has relationships with certain bank, state-owned banks, like Turkey's Hall Bank, Russia's uh, VEB, VEB, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, various other entities around, but certainly entities in the Middle East, many of, some of whom gave Jared Kushner a huge loan during the, the administration mm. uh, to help him out with a problem he had. Um, I have, you know, I can just imagine that some of those people would say, you know, Don, you know, we, we'd love to help you out. You know, what, what, what can you do for me? Mm-hmm. And he's, as we all know, he's a transactional guy, and I could easily see him you know, helping out uh, certain adversarial states in order to get those state-owned banks and other entities to help him out with this debt. I don't think I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. You mean by, I think I'm being paranoid. You mean by sharing state secrets with those Correct. countries? Now, and and I don't know. I, I had been thinking about this for a while, and I haven't been able to look into it. Obviously, a president can declassify anything he wants. Uh, essentially president can give away any state secret he wants, as I understand it, as president. Does he suddenly, as a private citizen, is he now uh, required to keep those secrets secret? I think so. I don't, I've never heard that an ex-president has some kind of right to declassify information. I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm sure that he would be held liable for that. Which if, means if they were, if they found out about it, if they knew that he had done that, I think he would be legally, I mean, in big trouble on espionage level, that kind of of trouble. But you know, I don't think he he thinks anything about that. I believe, you know, look, this is a guy who's gotten out of every jam he's ever had, uh, including this one, mm-hmm. um, the the one that he's getting out of as we speak. You know, inciting. Uh, an uh, an insurrection mm-hmm. on the U.S. Capitol during a joint session, and you know what's going to happen to them be- him because of that? Nothing. Well. I mean, he'll be maybe he'll be convicted in a post presidential impeachment, but what does that mean to him? I mean, well, nothing. he could he could also be convicted uh, in in an actual criminal conviction down the road if it's something that he hasn't 
pardoned himself for. Well, and also, you know, one more thing occurs to me. I'm obviously not a national security expert, but oh yes, you are. Don't be so don't be so mean to yourself. <laughs> is it possible for Trump to declassify something secretly before he leaves the presidency, while he still has the authority to do so, yeah. and then pop up later and say, "Yeah, I made this deal with you know adversarial country here, and yeah, I declassified that." Sorry, y'all didn't know about that. Hmm. <laughs> yes, it's possible. I'm sure that he. I mean, look at he's just declassified apparently a whole bunch of information on the Russia investigation. And, you know, Fox News is in a complete tizzy over it, doing backflips over it. Uh, yeah, that's certainly possible. I don't know what the legal ramifications of that are, whether he has that capacity, whether he has that power to secretly declassify something and then spread it around after he's gone. But let's just, you know, think about what we're talking about here. <laughs> you know, we have True. a president who has had, you know, presidents have access to everything. Now, I know here's the, the silver lining, and I mentioned this in my piece, you know he's known to not be to be distracted and not pay attention to his intelligence <laughs> right. Reasons, right and there's some indication that maybe they have kept things from him uh-huh. knowing that he's loose lips sink ships right but you know i don't know you know trump is 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 very ignorant in many ways but i suspect that he did understand the value of information mm-hmm. and how it might be of value to him and i could easily see him putting together a little portfolio on the sly of things that might be useful. Mm-hmm. Or Jared, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jared isn't as dumb as Trump, and he probably did pay attention to all those intelligence briefings. So yep. I just think, you know, Trump is a national security threat to the United States, both domestically and foreign. Yep. I mean, this, is, this guy is a walking threat, and it's yeah. not going to go away once he's out of office. Let's just put it that way. This guy is taking with him a tremendous amount of risk to the country and, Mm -hmm. frankly, to the planet, uh, knowing what he knows. And as we were uh, discussing uh, previously, he's an an ongoing, as uh, Nancy Pelosi described him, a clear and present danger right now, as is the FBI is warning that there may be more violence in the days ahead because he refuses, specifically because he refuses to recognize Joe Biden as the lawfully, correctly, fairly, squarely elected uh, uh, president. And, you know, incredibly, you know, I realized uh, the day before Trump was actually impeached just a couple of days ago that I did not even discuss his impeachment on the show the day before because there was so much else going on. (laughs) And because, you know, at this point, impeachment, even an historic second one for Donald Trump, Almost seems, you know, like little more than, oh, just another Wednesday at, in <laughs> one sense at this point. Uh, w- w- were the Democrats right to bring this last minute impeachment uh, as you see it? And how do you see all of this playing out in the days ahead in a Senate trial whenever that trial may actually start? Well, I think they were right to do it. I mean, I think it's right to go on record with this. I mean, he did incite this this insurrection. I don't blame them. Uh, I, in fact, I was kind of surprised they were able to pull that off within a week. I mean, when you say it's just another Wednesday, one Wednesday we had a violent insurrection. Mm-hmm. The next Wednesday, the president was impeached yeah. for inciting. The, you know, that's 
pretty yeah. pretty fast moving yeah. for the U.S. Congress. Yeah. They were personally uh, um, targeted, and and their workplace was assaulted, and they were in danger. I, to me, that uh, obviously the motivation was pretty strong there for them to do it, and I don't blame them. As far as the Senate is concerned, uh, I think they will go ahead with the impeachment, and my suspicion is they're going to do it. They're going to have a trial sooner rather than later. I think they want to get get it off the table since it's not a matter of actually getting rid of him. And obviously the point is to try and get a conviction so that they can then put forth this, um, this you know, uh, motion, I guess, mm-hmm. or this, this whatever it is, to uh, bar him from ever holding public office again, which would solve a lot of problems for a lot of people, including Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Liz Cheney mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of them who want to run for president in 2024, and they don't want this guy hanging over their shoulder. So there is a remote possibility because of that that they might be able to do it. Not that Josh Hawley would vote for it, but maybe some others will. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I think it's worth trying anyway, and whether or not it actually, you know, what, I'm skeptical that they can get a conviction, but, you know, right, let's uh, just put it this way. Stranger things have happened. Are, are <laughs> you concerned about, you know, uh, when, when, they, uh, when the House sends an impeachment to the, uh, to the Senate, as I understand it, all other business must stop and uh, until the trial is is carried out, is over. Are you concerned about how that might affect the way uh, uh, you know the, the incoming Biden administration will see their uh, cabinet be confirmed and their COVID and economic agenda uh, get passed? That's going to hold everything up, is it not? What what I have heard, and I don't know, I don't know if it's been settled yet, but mm-hmm. that there is some thought that they don't need to stop all the business. That they could actually do half and half, where they could do the morning business being the trial and the afternoon business being the debate on whatever mm-hmm. bills they're trying to put forth. I know that Biden had talked to Mitch McConnell about it, and Mitch McConnell said, let me check it out with the parliamentarian. Sh- Schumer mm. seems to think that they can do that. So uh, my suspicion is they'll figure out a way uh, to make that work for them. I don't think they want to spend a lot of time on the impeachment trial because, you know, Biden, in fact, just last night, he put out you know this this big 1.9 trillion dollar mm-hmm. plan that he needs to get passed very quickly so i suspect that they're going to figure out a way to get that done now there's still the possibility hanging out there that if they can't that they'll just delay doing the impeachment trial and there might be some logic to that as well because what we're finding is this evidence is just you know it's rolling out yeah. now, day after day after day which may be helpful to the uh, to the lawyers to the House managers in the impeachment trial to have that evidence available to them to make their case. So either way, I think they will go through with the trial. I don't think it's not going to happen. And the question remains whether or not they're going to do it quickly to get it off the table or whether or not they're going to wait and uh, and do it after they at least get this this big COVID relief plan done. I think that's something that has, you know, obvious priority over everything. People are dying. And you mentioned uh, Mitch McConnell. Very quickly, I've got a couple of more uh, questions, and I have to fit them in here very quickly. But do you believe there is a chance in hell that Mitch McConnell will actually vote to convict (laughs) as he is supposedly considering? Or is that just some great press that Mitch McConnell has been able to uh, once again engineer? I think Mitch McConnell is testing the waters to see whether or not it will be possible to purge Trump and keep Trumpism you know, working to his advantage, in other words, helping them get elected. Mitch McConnell has observed one thing. Donald Trump 
has had two elections. He lost the popular vote in both and barely won the uh, um, Electoral College in the first one. He's also lost the House and the Senate. <laughs> All this happened in one term. So as far as his great political advantage to the, to the Republicans, I think Mitch is kind of going, you know what, this isn't working for us. On the other mm-hmm. hand, they have that rabid base that they have to deal with. So he's trying to test the waters and see what he can do. No, I agree with you, he will never vote for impeachment. But he's, you know, setting up, so he's trying to set up some kind of a way to figure out how they might work their way through this moment and get rid of Trump, which is what he wants. He which, wants to put Trump out to pasture. Which, well, almost brings me to my last question. Before I get there, uh, and your your latest column at Salon, but before I get there, even though his, his former Attorney General Bill Barr, his White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, have reportedly warned him against it, is there any doubt in your mind that Donald Trump is going to try and self-pardon himself, whether it is legal or not? Zero doubt in my mind. Of course he's going to yes. do that. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I, maybe maybe it won't happen, that he'll try and do some kind of a mass pardon for some of these um, uh, these violent insurrectionists who took over the Capitol. I mean, maybe not, but, which, you know, he's... Well, I was going to say, which would be a super duper uh, double uh, problematic, as Ernie Canning writes about at bradblog.com today. I'll just point folks there for that. Uh, last thought here from you, uh, Heather. And by the way, yes, you are totally correct that he will self-pardon himself. I think we all agree to that. I can't even imagine he wouldn't try. Uh, in, in, in your column today, however, at Salon, which I will point folks towards, uh, you look at how the ghost of Trumpism, as you describe it, may or may not come to haunt the GOP for years to come. And you note that he's lost uh, a lot of support among his party faithful, though not all that much. You note, uh, although I would argue that in response, that losing about 10 points or more in just the past two or three weeks is actually pretty noteworthy in such a short time. But we shared a a, a Twitter thread that that seemed to sort of speak to some of this a few days ago from John McCain's former campaign chair, Steve Schmidt. I don't know if you saw this. This was written prior to January 6th. I think it was January 3. And, and he said that on that date, on January 6th, the die would be cast for the Republican Party, that it would be irretrievably split into two between the supporters of America and democracy and the supporters of autocracy and that the party could no longer stand that split then the Whigs could survive uh, their own pro-slavery and abolitionist wings in one single party. That ended up killing the Whigs. He argues that uh, this is going to kill the Republican Party. It may not be immediate, but uh, but eventually it will. Is he right? Is this the eventual death of the Republican Party? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, from his lips to God's ear. I, I mean, I hope what he's saying is true. But I honestly don't know. This has been going on for a long time. You and I and Desi Mm -hmm. have been talking about this for years. It predates Trump. This has been a radicalization of the Republican Party for decades. Mm And, you know, just today I saw Norm Ormstein on, um, on MSNBC talking about, he, he said that, that the person who turned it from a political party, however radically racist it always was, into an actual cult, was Newt Gingrich, and he did mm-hmm. that with his, you know, uh, yep. words of, of hatred for, for, for the Democrats. You know, he started that whole yep. kind of, you know, abject enemy of the people thing. Yep. 
So, you know, th- this has been going on for a long time. I don't know. They seem to have been able to tolerate it, including their big money people, for a very long time. Maybe this violence that happened, this big proxism of, of violence and delusion with the QAnon and the rest, maybe that has finally broken the fever. But, you know, I'm, I'm holding back on making any prediction on that. I honestly don't know. The fact that still, you know, it's some polls have it at 60, some have it at 70 percent of the Republicans still supporting Donald Trump uh, after this, uh, how does that happen? 197 House members voted not to impeach him. Yeah. Even after the insurrection on that very day, how many of those people can two-thirds of the, Demo- of the Republican Party came back in to that chamber and voted to object to the Electoral College votes? I mean, this is, there's a real sickness that runs through that, and I don't know whether or not it, this has, you know, it has spelled, had, maybe this is the, the end of it and we're just going to see it peter out, mm. or whether or not it's going to go on in new forms. I honestly don't know. All that. I know is that when there's a, 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 a party where uh, Liz Cheney emerges as a hero, it seems to me something has yep. gone terribly wrong. Emerges as a hero among people like you and I. Something has gone terribly I wrong, know. Heather. Uh, <laughs> Heather Digby Parton can be found at salon.com. You can find her also, uh, her hullabaloo blog, by going to digbysblog.net. You can find her on the Twitters at digby56. And I suspect she will be back with us soon as all of this continues to unravel over the next few days. Heather Digby Parton, Always great speaking with you. Stay well, my friend. This is not going to be over as of Wednesday, I'm afraid. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you. Okay, quick break, and we are back in our closing few minutes with some good news, some bona fide good news on a story we have been covering here for several years at this point. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Good as some sheets. It's been a long week. Think I'm finna kick up my feet. I'm craving isolation and a few tangerines. I crave a little me time on my free time. But time be moving slow. Oh. Ain't no stagger when I step. I love that song. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The uh, Census Bureau was told on Tuesday evening to cease work on a directive from Donald Trump to provide the data that would allow the president to exclude undocumented immigrants from congressional apportionment. Yes, this is one of uh, one of those stories that we missed due to the uh, uh, impeachment uh, <laughs> over the past week. But this <laughs> is bona fide excellent news as the Donald Trump administration comes to a painful close. Already, the Trump apportionment policy was running into a fatal timing issue due to routine snags in the census processing phase and the uh, earlier disruptions to the count from the pandemic. The Census Bureau is not likely to produce the population counts for uh, apportionment now until 
later this spring. But now the administration is in full retreat from this project after a Commerce Department IG Inspector General letter uh, this week revealed that the political appointees in the bureau were still seeking a report on undocumented and non-citizenship data. You know, the data that they had planned to use to subtract those folks from the census, even though the Constitution mandates that the census count all persons. It doesn't say all citizens, it says all persons. All persons in the country every 10 years are supposed to be included in the census and, yes, in the apportionment data that is then given to Congress to help them determine congressional districts and so on. It, as it turns out, they don't even have yet the data that they would need to subtract those undocumented and uh, non-citizens from the count. In a response Wednesday to the inspector general's letter revealing all of this... The head of the uh, the agency, uh, Dillingham, said that the data project was related to the 2019 executive order that the president had issued directing the collection of the citizenship data in order to use it to exclude undocumented immigrants from congressional apportionment. This all as part of a long-attempted GOP scheme to rethink apportionment to move political power and government resources from urban, democratic-leaning areas of the country out to rural, white, Republican areas. A shift in political power just by gaming the numbers. Dillingham's response confirmed that after receiving the IG letter, he had instructed the Bureau to, quote, stand down and discontinue their review of that data. So this scheme now appears to be done failed over. Yay. No kidding. The IG's uh, letter uh, to Dillingham called him out by name as one of the appointees who were pressuring the bureau experts to try to produce this data by the end of the week. One bureau, uh, senior bureau employee went as far as to say this work is statistically indefensible. And uh, nevertheless, the Trump administration was relentlessly trying to do this, trying to put it into into effect before Trump left office. And now it appears official. It ain't ever going to happen. Woohoo! At, at least not until the next census 10 years from now. <laughs> Who knows by then? Sorry in advance. Uh, but I'm sure the Republicans, they got 10 years to figure out how to do it. And I'm sure they will. Uh, until then, they'll just have to try to keep power the old-fashioned way by, you know, giving voters something to vote for. Nah, they'll just gerrymander with whatever data they have. <laughs> I, They're up for game in the system, yeah. man, not actual winning. Yeah, that would be crazy. Anyway, they lost on that one. Good news for us, bad news for them. Womp womp. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. With my thanks to those of you who make all of this possible, those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. I can't thank you enough. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.